Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast, the podcast that discusses all things around investment management and the business of running an RIA firm. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. All right, welcome to today's Conquer Risk podcast. My name is Jeff. I've got my business partner Manish here with me, and something that uh, that you know came to light in in our own circumstance, and this is a common common discussion with advisors uh, that I have anyway. Which is, w- would you loan someone ten thousand dollars for eight bucks? Right? I mean, that's that's a that sounds like a funny question, maybe, but but ultimately that's what thousands and thousands, in fact, millions of clients are doing on a daily basis. They're investing their regular cash in local banks, maybe a national bank, and many of them are paying you eight bucks on ten grand. So uh, that's that was the basis for this uh, podcast, and we're going to talk through some of that, some of the brick and mortar stuff, online institutions, and ultimately, um, you know, Manish, you're the one that pushed me to get out of regular banks and and move to an online format. Yeah, what I was don't your big actually quite. I don't really quite understand why anyone has a bank at this point. Um, you know, it's been 10 years for me where I just didn't see the point. You know, you have these online checking and savings accounts or uh, the other term is cash management, which, mm-hmm. you know, allows you to juice up the the money market. And we can talk about that later on. But yeah, no, I mean, we had talked about this where you had a local bank or a credit unit and, and we just had some back and forth conversation where I was trying to get to the bottom of what you actually need it for. Um, it, you know, why do you need a bank at all? So what, yeah. let me ask you that as, you know, prior to us having that conversation, if we had to read this all over again, why did you have a bank? Yeah. So, so, you know, like anything, right, you, you start with your own experiences. And I remember very fondly, my dad worked at Goodyear and my first bank account of any kind was actually a credit union. And his statement to me was, it's smart to have a bank and a credit union. Your credit union gives you some special, there's, there's just some different, there's a, definitely differences between them. Right. But um, whether you like one or another, that's a whole nother uh, so we can make a whole podcast out of that but the end result was i worked for a couple of banks out of right out of college before i got in the investment industry and i've just always had this i'm going to call it tactile you know this this physical money right i'm nutty about making sure there's no crinkles in my bills and my wallet um i want to have a physical bank Uh, i liked going in to the bank when i needed to do something or get whatever and you know the reality is a stark this all came to light uh, a few years ago, I had a, a big business deal that came through, and I had a very large check come in. It was FedExed to the home. I was on a business trip. My wife, uh, you know, took some time off from work to go to the local bank that we uh, we had an account, and it was too big. They wouldn't accept it. What? You yeah. have a check to someone who has Wait, let's, no so bounce Let's back check. up a yeah. second. Why do you want a bank? It's because you 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 <laughs> yeah, think that the I, money is behind the, their safe. It, it was it was um, yeah. I mean, there's just for whatever reason, right? It was this emotional connection to to just think that you had to have done. a bank. It's the way it always. All right, I know you hate this phrase, right? But you, you do something because that's the way it's always been done. That is the worst excuse on the planet to ever do anything. I don't care if it's how you make well, a peanut for, butter you know, sandwich. For, for any future Potomac employees that's the one thing that will (laughs) cause the end of your tenure i mean it's the absolute worst answer and maybe that's the case i mean we all grew up on 
you know, going to the bank and depositing your money and, and not having this online option and, you know, custodians and, and different sources are coming out with this that, that make banks irrelevant. And, you know, which we're going to get to right now, the the interest rate, right. you know, and, and how that really affects it. Right. And that's something that I think people, um, regular folks and even professionals often, I, I don't want to use the word confused, but they, they just don't understand the difference between an interest rate and a dollar amount, right? And it's it's fun to play games, right, with interest rates because you can say, oh well, you get uh, seventy five basis points or point, you know, three quarters of a percent versus one percent. Is that a big deal? Now, ooh, look, we're getting an extra, you know, two point one percent instead of two. Well, turn that into dollars, and that's the basis for the title of this podcast. Right, the uh, Investopedia in May of nineteen. I was looking for something else and came across this. The average national bank savings account interest rates was point zero eight percent as of September twenty fourth of twenty eighteen, and this is from the FDIC that that was referenced on uh, on Investopedia, and the point is point oh, zero eight. Okay, that doesn't sound like much. That's eight dollars on ten grand. Now I'm going to ask you: Would you loan anybody? $10,000 if you're going to get eight bucks in interest. Well, I have something better for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with inflation, uh, <laughs> they're actually charging you money. Well, there's there's a lot of ways that, that so people we need to lose change money. The title. Yeah, good point. All right. So so my issue is, are there other ways? And that was, you know, like I said, we've already talked about a couple of things that came to light for me. I was like, okay, I need to rethink this process, right? So, you know, is 2% a better rate. Well, yeah, it is. What's that really mean? Okay, that's $200 on 10,000. So, is that a lot? No, it's not, but it sure beats the hell out of 8 bucks, right? So, what's it take to get $200? Well, look, there are a lot of online institutions um, that maybe hooked to a brokerage, you know, custodian, that sort of thing may not, but at least that's something, right? You're getting something for your money cuz 8 bucks, frankly, that's not even worth the time to to blink or write down a transaction. You know, look, or, I, got I mean, any any so. any money market fund. I mean, I mean, right. the, at the end of last year, you know, the 10 year was at 10 percent, uh, sorry, 3 percent, give or take. Mm-hmm. And we've declined since then. But there are money markets that are paying two to three percent, probably right. less now. And so, yes, it's not a quote unquote checking. And, and what I learned is that in order to call yourself a checking or a savings account, you have to go through certain bank regulations, which is why. A money market is not a checking account. Right. Uh, a cash management account that uses money market, it's not a checking account. So there's there's some lack of uh, SIPC protection, things like that. Uh, I don't know. I, if we get into a situation where SIP protection comes into play, you may have a bigger problem than than the spread on on the interest rate. There, I'm not saying it's not something you should pay attention to. It's I've never personally, you know, paid attention to that. I mean, most money markets are completely liquid. And if you're looking at the larger money markets, I don't think you're going to run into any issues of, of bucking the dollar and, and going below it. Um, well, you know, that's not yeah, financial the, advice, of course. Right. Well, there's there's also a reality, which is most people aren't going to put in $250,000 into their savings account and hit the maximum FDIC insurance mark, right? I mean, the SIPC on the brokerage side is definitely a little bit different deal. There's some different limits there. So what but, the hell is uh, the difference between FDIC and SIPC? Well, SIPC is for brokerage accounts for fraud that, that causes a, a loss. FDIC is for banking institutions primarily. But but here's something that most people don't know, and this did come to light in the Great Recession, right? 2008, et cetera. 
is FDIC, it, they have offered, again, whole nother topic, but they have offered protection on a large volume of assets beyond just your traditional checking and savings accounts and CDs and so forth. So, um, I mean, there, there, were, there were some alternative products uh, that were starting to be offered uh, that had FDIC protection. Some, yeah, there was some exotic stuff that was starting to get FDIC. And that, that was a real concern for me because ultimately, look, if I'm gonna have some institution that's going to guarantee uh, uh, my dollar for dollar uh, for a fraud uh, circumstance, then I wanna make sure that they've got the right backing and that they're only going after those assets that are going to be legitimately able to be backed. Um, otherwise you end up with, uh, you know, just like the mortgage credit crap that, you know, yeah, uh, S&P and Moody's and maybe there were all kinds of, of quote, guarantees on some of those things. Dewey, I don't know. I don't know enough about this stuff. Like it's like the credit card (laughs) deal when you rent cars, like they say they cover you, right? You're never going to really find out until you actually get an accident and see what the details are. You know, who knows what, what, I don't know. I, I haven't paid. I mean, I think, but anyway, moving on. I mean, one of the things that I had recommended to you was to use a cash management account. Uh, and the difference between cash management and checking comes down to their ability to, uh, up the yield by buying and selling treasuries and you know using that within the money market. So I was at Fidelity at the time, still am. It was called uh, my smart cash account, mm-hmm. which we'll link in the show notes. And you know you can't call it a check-in once again, it's a cash management account. And so the, the pros are, you know, it, it, ATMs, they cover the fee. So you can use nationwide ATMs. Um, they have the ability to transfer money back and forth to your stock account, which most do at this point. Uh, you get a debit card. The only real con is you can't really deposit or pull out tons of cash, which right. for most of us, you know, we're not walking around with with that kind of money. Maybe when you're hitting up to the casinos, you might need a little <laughs> bit more than the four hundred dollar limit. Um, but that's really the only con that I've I've personally witnessed is the the inability to pull out a lot of cash, which <laughs> frankly is probably more of a pro. Uh, you know, in certain situations. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, I can't think of anything else, really. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll, I'll just say that we've we found it enjoyable that we don't have to pay fees when we pull money out when we stop by a casino that we weren't intending to be going to. So all of a sudden we need some cash. And, you know, I, I, mean, I have yet to find a, an ATM that I couldn't use. And, and knowing that there aren't any fees, I mean, that's, uh, th- that's a that's a good deal. So one of the things I thought was interesting, and this is again going back to that question of ten thousand. Would you loan somebody ten grand for eight bucks? What I think is interesting is if you start doing some research, if you're not careful on, you know, like where are the best. Okay, so I'm going to go online. Well, where's the best online right account, a cash management account, or whatever you want to call it? You have to really look at those details too. I mean, you, you can't just be a dumb consumer. You have to be a smart consumer because ultimately if you, a lot of times they'll offer a, a nice rate, maybe it's two and a half or two and a quarter or something right now. That's, that's, that's all relative, right? Uh, to the environment we're in. But if you get below a certain balance, well then, you know, that, that definitely changes or maybe it's a promotional rate, right? And what I find interesting is that sometimes some of those same companies that will offer Oh, you're going to get two and a quarter percent as an example, instead of what we talked about, the 0.08. Well, if you drop below 500 bucks, I saw one, you drop below $500. Well, then all of a sudden there's a monthly charge for the account. Well, if you do the math and work backwards, the monthly charge on 500 bucks equates to almost a 10% cost. So you're seriously looking to pay me 2%, but I have to, if I get below that balance, I have to pay you 10 I yeah. mean, I can see why they're offering a little bit more, right? So you can't be a dumb consumer. You have to be smart. 
You have to look at the little details, but there's just a lot more to be had. And uh, it's really nice to have the online capabilities. Um, most banks do have online capabilities, but let's face it, I, I gave up on banks. You you win. You won the argument. Yeah. I am now all online. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, so. look, if we take it back to sort of the, the advisor community and, and what Robinhood came out with at the end of last year, they mm-hmm. it was a marketing snafu, but they came out and sold it as a 3% checking. They got into some uh, hot water with the regulators because you, once again, cannot call something checking and savings Mm -hmm. uh, without going through a a bank regulation process. And so they abandoned it, which for them, actually, it turned out really well because at the time they were offering 3%, uh, 10 years were paying a little less, and they were either going to cover the loss or I don't know the details, but that's what was, you know, talked about is them just covering the loss. They would be in a world of trouble right now if they were still guaranteeing 3%. Uh, with the 10-year at at two, uh, Mm -hmm. unless they're coming up with other mechanisms that make the difference up. So, you know, you just, you got to read the details. You got to make sure that you're not jumping into something that that guarantees a certain rate. And and chasing yield is is a bad thing. I mean, even from the investment side, right? Chasing high yield, chasing things that are paying much higher than the standard rate. There's usually a reason for that. Um, and so that, once again, the devil's in the details with a lot of those things. Well, it's a, so that's a, a good, uh, a good segue to the fact that, you know, look, when you're, you know, the chasing rate concept, again, everybody is advertising based on a percentage. So is there, should I chase rate because I was at, you know, 2% and now I can get two and a quarter. Well, again, convert it to dollars and it starts to make more sense on $10,000. You're talking about 200 versus $225 a year. Was it worth your 25 bucks to move all of your, any automated transactions, move the money, take the time? Time is so valuable. Don't waste time trying to chase rates. But there's a huge difference between 0.08 and 2, right? I mean, that that math does make sense. Uh, but once you get into the ballpark of what's reasonable, and that's what's funny right now in our interest rate environment to me, the 10-year treasury is less than what I'm making on my, my you know, money market account online. Is I, it? You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what a little you, crazy. What are you making on your money market account? Uh, I'm getting about uh, two two twenty. I think it was. And what was the really? ten? When I looked at the ten year, it was the two uh, two zero handle. Um, you know, I mean, I, I haven't looked in a few days, but yeah. Anyway, uh, it's just one of those things that even to be close blows my mind, right? I mean, that's that's something that's just I've got a government money market mutual fund that I'm using for the money market account. And, you know, that's getting a, that, let's that just call just it an be, equivalent rate. Let's call it an equivalent that, yeah, rate. That might just be a be. lag. Yeah. That, that just might be a lag. I mean, if you look at the seven day SEC yield on some of these money markets, I mean, they're, you know, they, they, they somewhat up. track. Yeah. They somewhat track the 10 year. I mean, I know on, right. on, on the Fidelity one, it's like 2.08. Uh, and yesterday the 10 right. years at 2.07. Um, right. And, and it just could be a lag, but, yeah. but regardless, but again, the, the right, point is you're at least close here. and you're at least close. And honestly, that's a, still a better rate than go look at your local bank at your one year CD where you have to lock it up and lose interest if you take it out. Right. I mean, you just, unless it's a, happens to be a bonus rate, you know, it's worth, it's well, worth listen, the effort. So, I mean, for Moving full on. disclosure, you know, because we are uh, a regulated firm, for full yeah. disclosure, money markets can fluctuate. There's no guarantee <laughs> you're going to get a dollar back. Um, be aware, read the details, and I think I yeah. did my duty. There you go. Good job. You you you, right. you you went. You get a cookie. All right. All right. So uh, you've got a you've got a. Uh, uh, I guess it's time for some recommendations. You've got a report that you uh, read uh, that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so uh, pay to play was an article that Barron's did that sort of uncovered the 
pay to play uh, among mutual funds at custodians. And the average client would probably never know this. And frankly, some advisors probably don't know this either. When you go to a custodian like a Fidelity or a TD, uh, you know, they give you free trades. You know, you don't have to pay for statements, free logins. They obviously have to make money somehow. And one of the biggest ways besides the spread on cash is the mutual funds that pay them, right? So to get on platforms, you have to pay anywhere from 35 to 45 basis points to the custodians. And think about that. If a mutual fund charges, you know, a percent, you know, 40% of that is possibly going to the custodian uh, to be on the platform, right? And that's the, the pay to play. And the article went into how, you know, larger firms have the advantage, right? I think something like the top 10 firms control two thirds of market share at this point and mm-hmm. smaller firms that may have a great track record and, and may be the best fund available can't get on the platform because they can't cut the check. Now, you and I know we've been in this industry long enough that, you know, pay to play is sort of a, a weird term to use. I mean, you're always, if you're going to a conference and you can afford it, you're going to get in front of more people. Uh, is that necessarily pay to play? Uh, it, it, to me, it comes down to the disclosure of it, right? You don't want to promote these 10 funds because, quote unquote, you think they're the best when really it's only because they're paying you the most. Right. Uh, so it was an interesting article. I know, you know, you're given your role at a broker dealer um, and historically they have been the worst offenders of uh, pay to play. Uh, what are your two thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah, part of it is disclosure, but part of it is just an understanding. Uh, I think the fact that that, you know, most I, I would agree, most advisors don't realize all of the back end that, that happens in many cases to be. Um, you know, to be on a platform. And, and that is true not only for mutual funds and ETFs, but also in some cases for, for third-party managers, right? That also uh, may be the case or for a REIT or et cetera, right? They're paying. And certainly when it comes to conferences, that is the deal. There are, there are some hefty price tags. Uh, most broker-dealers make a lot of money on their conferences because they're making all the vendors pay a hefty price in order to be there. And you know, there's really no reason for an advisor to think through it unless they want to understand who is being pushed or marketed to. Um, you know, again, it doesn't always mean that firm is the best. It just means that they are available. And yeah, there's. But the, to, to your point, let me <clears throat> sorry to interrupt, but yeah, it's yeah. not all, it's not just financial firms, right? You go to pharmaceutical firms, uh, oh, tech conferences. If you want to have eyes on your product you got to pay sometimes to go to these conferences. And so this is the sort of give and take where sometimes pay to play is a bad term because, you know, you're, you're, you're paying to go to a conference to get in front of people. It doesn't guarantee that that money comes to you versus if a firm promotes a certain firm, you know, without telling people that, Hey, these guys are also lining our pockets. And I think that's the major distinction, but to the point of the article, the custodians aren't necessarily telling clients because custodians aren't fiduciaries that, hey, you know, these 10 funds, you know, they're, they're paying us a certain amount. Right. right? Yeah. And ultimately, it, you know, this is funny because this is where it, uh, you know, the reality is this is where it comes back. Does it, does it cost the client more? Well, look, if the if the custodians were all saying, okay, well, anybody who has done the, you know, gone through their checks and balances and and met their criteria and so forth can be on the platform. And there wasn't this revenue share on the back end, then 
the mutual fund may not have to charge a one. Maybe they can. Maybe they'll charge but, a but sixty. The, the custodians will probably just charge the client then twenty or thirty right. basis they'll points. Start I mean, you can't for get part. everything for free. I mean, right. enough already. You you cannot <laughs> you sign up. You have online access, money movement, the ability to purchase ETFs for free, the ability to to conduct business, get statements. They used to charge you for all that shit back in the day. And and now it's it's all quote unquote free. I mean, they have to get paid somehow. And so, I, I had a, the solution to me has always been that the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. So if you are getting basis points as a revenue share, just fully disclose that and and let the chips fall where they may. But you know, if if let's say we get rid of that, then the custodians and I think that's going to happen regardless. I think custodians will in the future charge asset-based pricing. So anyone that comes to that custodian will have to pay 20 or 30 basis points. And that's as above board as you can make it. But then we'll have a second round of bitching and complaining about why you know, I'm paying 20 or 30 basis points. But it's a service. You know, A custodian is providing a service and they yeah, have to get absolutely. paid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's all, it's all about the compensation. So um, it's got to be there in some form or fashion. And uh, you know, it's just whether or not the clients or the advisors actually see it. And frankly, sometimes they're, they prefer not to see it. And so you could bury a whole bucket load and, and the world would be happy. Uh, you know, stick your head in the sand and, and call it a day. So, and we, I mean, we, we had, uh, you know, our SEC audit recently and, and it, you know, it, it came up and, you know, there, it was just a matter of disclosure. Right. And, and, and we have always disclosed and, and, and that should be kind of a standard practice among people to just disclose those, those separate payments and, and what they're for. Right. But my two right. cents, but. All right, so moving on. So I'm going to give a a little bit different recommendation. It's uh, and this is uh, that was actually wasn't a recommendation, but here's my recommendation, and this is something that goes beyond just the actual food. Right, flaming hot Cheetos. I'd never tried them, but I came across a story that I wanted to relay. I have to stop you. I have yeah. to stop you. This is now the second week in a row that you're recommending food, so you might want to uh, keep that in mind. All right. Well, see, here's the point though. The food is okay, but I'm actually recommending the story. The story, right. okay, but if you right. don't, if you haven't tried the, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend. Once I read the story, I couldn't recommend the story without actually going to the store and buying a stupid pack of flaming hot Cheetos. So yeah, they're you know wait, what? so they're, you actually you actually bought it and ate it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're, you know, they're tasty, but they're they're messy as all get out. Now, I live in an RV, and when you live full-time in an RV, you want to stay as far away from bugs as you can. So the last thing I want to do is eat anything that I, I have all over my fingers that dust is flying everywhere and is food for bugs. So, uh, yeah, I'm probably not going to buy any more, but the story is worth the read. And apparently, they're getting ready to uh, – There's there's been some contracts just to make a movie out of this. Richard Montanez. Uh, uh, he is the person who founded or created Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Um, and I think it's pretty wild. It's an interesting story because of the fact that, first and foremost, he was the janitor. Yeah. Think about that for a uh, second. Janitor, janitor where? He was the janitor for, uh, for Frito-Lay. Okay. All right. So he made the uh, – he took these uh, regular Cheetos – and this has been, geez, I don't know, off the top of my head, 20 years ago or whatever, right? And he took them I and realized as he was doing something else that ultimately there wasn't anything sort of hot and spicy from the company. And the CEO at the time made reference in one of their meetings about the fact that every employee in this company needs to treat it as their own company. What would you do? 
And and obviously, I won't b- blow the rest of the story, but uh, yeah, but definitely read it. Um, we'll provide yeah, a, we'll a link art, in the, yeah, show, in the notes show notes for sure. Okay. Um, and maybe there will be, maybe they will get all the way through to a movie. But here's a quote that I love. Uh, somebody asked him because he now actually teaches at a university. Uh, as well as part of his uh, job uh, description or job responsibilities. And apparently a student one day asked him, why are you teaching a master's program? You don't have a PhD. He said, and I quote, I'm poor, hungry, and I have just now blown that. Wow. Um, Okay, that's great. So I guess we'll we'll get to cut this out. I have just totally blanked on that. So for the first time, we get to cut a little section out, and maybe this no, will be not a, cutting a, a it. We're keeping it. Blooper later. All right, we'll see. All right, uh, moving on from your uh, wow. recommendation. Now I have. Um, so for the longest time, I I, I have felt hungry that, and uh, determined. I got it. Poor hungry and determined. Right. <laughs> there you go. That's his PhD. So see, look, we don't mind making fools of ourselves. That's just the way it goes. That's what happens when you stick something in the brain, and then you stick a bunch of other stuff in the brain. So moving on. All right. So, uh, you know, one of the, my recommendations for the week is a Netflix documentary. So for the longest time, I've, I've felt that I've wanted to cut back on the amount of meat and dairy that I eat. Uh, oh, no. no, 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 I can't no, do that. No, quite, no quite reason why. <laughs> I mean, obviously there's studies out there. Um, and so it, it, I, this was in my mind for a while. And then I watched this documentary called What the Health, which is a documentary about going plant-based and the damages that meat and dairy cause your body and the environment. You know, shocking stats that a burger takes 660 gallons of water to produce. Um, Now, I know you don't give a shit about this being from the Midwest, but (laughs) nonetheless, these facts are true. And, you know, climate change, if, you know, that's the number one thing that you can do to give her to climate change is is the the production of livestock. It's uh, it's it doesn't matter how many cars you take off the road a little bit, but not as much as livestock. Right. Anyway, the point is uh, forks over knives was the sort of, I guess, company that put this on or sponsored it. And so it was an interesting documentary, definitely worthwhile for, you know, the health crisis. I think it is a crisis what's going on in this country. Um, and us fully participating in this crisis. And uh, and so, yes, I've been fully plant-based for 11 days. It feels like 11 years, frankly. Um, I'm running out of things to eat. Uh, but since, you know, Paige doesn't really eat meat anyway, so it's been, uh, it's been challenging. I, I can't report back on any changes, frankly. It's only been 11 days, for crying out loud. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good documentary, but, it, it, you know, if you love meat, it, it will gross you out. Uh, so you may not want to want to watch it. Um, well, but I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's pretty pretty telling. It's on Netflix, and we'll we'll put the the link in the show notes. It's called What the Health. I recommend everyone watch it. Well, yeah, yeah. Who knows? I mean, uh, it may make me hungry. Uh, <laughs> in the Midwest, man, the thought of not eating a steak or a burger is uh, yeah. And then you know, you're gonna or some little Cheetos piggies and cookie butter. A little, there you go. Get get some little piggies. It's a beautiful thing, man. You can't take away barbecue. All right. All right. <laughs> what else so, you got? Anything uh, else? No, that'll that'll do it for for this week. I mean, ultimately, I All think right. uh, you know, would you would you loan somebody ten grand for eight bucks? I think we've blown that one out of the water. It's time to look for another solution for sure. Uh, it's another good topic to talk to your clients about. But uh, if you like this, uh, definitely hit the like button, subscribe. Um, you know, you can get us again. I always like to hit this. We're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're on Spotify, Pippa. Uh, you can go to our YouTube channel and see us there. We offer the the blog reference link to the podcast on our own blog page 
on Potomac.com, the PotomacFun.com. Apparently, I'm having trouble speaking today. All right, so, let's end on that it. Note, let's end it. Adios, folks. We're out. See ya. Peace.